So good to see you guys. Happy Father's Day, dads. We're all the dads in the house. Raise your hands. Don't be bashful. Amen. Let's give the dads a hand. Isn't that awesome? We love you guys. Got a special treat for you. At the end of our service, make your way to the back at the What Is Your Next Step area, and we've got donuts for dads while supplies last. So go get you a donut on us and enjoy that today. We love you guys and so glad you're here. If you're a guest or you're new to this church, welcome to Fort Caroline. I'm Ricky. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are so happy to have you with us today. Our job here is to just help you reach higher for the best life God has for you. We also appreciate those who listen to us online and who are a part of our church family in that way. We're in a series of messages, as you can see, called The Story of David, and we're just looking at the life of David and how that he learned to trust God with the story of his life, and we too can learn to trust God with the story of our lives. And if you've missed any of those messages, go to fcbc.life, and you can listen to those for free there, and you can also share those with others. Today I want to talk to you about the five qualities of inner circle friends. And we're going to look today at one of the most famous friendships in all of history, the friendship between David, who would become the future king of Israel, and a man named Jonathan, who was the son of the present king of Israel, whose name was Saul. And so today we've got a lot of ground to cover, but I want to give you five qualities of inner circle friends. And the reason this is important is because we all have friends in our lives, and people look to us to be friends as well. Now, if you can imagine three concentric circles... That outer circle would represent your acquaintances. We all have a lot of people in that outer circle of our acquaintances. These are the people that you know a little. You don't know them that well. Maybe you see them at the grocery store or you see them working out at the gym when you're there. Bailey's gym, of course. And uh, maybe this is the person that you see walking in your neighborhood and they are on the same track that you're on. And you guys maybe talk about the weather or you talk about sports. But those people are acquaintances. And then the middle circle represents your friends. Those are the people that you might share common interest with and you do life together, you share some joys or frustrations together. Maybe you guys talk about the things that are going on, not just in the weather or politics or uh, sports, but you talk about what's going on in your life and what's going on in your family. These could be people at work, it could be people here in our church, maybe in your life group. You know them, they know you, and you consider them friends. But that inner circle represents your inner circle of friends, your closest friends. And that circle is going to be smaller in number. But we all need people in that inner circle. These are people who are not just friends. These are inner circle friends. These aren't just people that we do life with and we share the good things and the bad things. These are the people that we can share the innermost secrets of our life, our struggles, our fears, our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions. Those are the people that we could pick up the phone anytime, day or night, and call them, and they would be there for us. An inner circle friend. Now, on Facebook, I've got over 1,500 friends. Most of them are acquaintances. I don't know many of them. They asked for a friend request, and I accepted. And so I don't know most of those people. But I can tell you that while I've got a lot of friends, I've got a few inner circle friends that are truly valuable to me. 
Someone said this morning in the first service, they said, I've always lived by the philosophy, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And I think that's true because the friends we do life with influences how we do life. You've got to be careful who you let into that inner circle of your friendship because they're going to influence you and you are going to influence them. They could influence you for the good or for the bad. They can help you or they can hurt you. You're never more vulnerable than when you've let someone into that inner circle of your relationships. And I can see in the life of David and Jonathan five qualities of inner circle friends. And I need these kind of friends in my life. But I also believe I need to be this kind of friend in someone else's life. And so today as we go through a lot of verses in six chapters we're going to kind of hit the highlights over six chapters. I want to point out five qualities of inner circle friends so that you can find that kind of friend, but also so that you can be that kind of friend. We're going to see today, you not only need a friend, you need to be a friend to someone else. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you're following along in your Bible or you're turning on your device, I'm also going to put all the scriptures on the screen, and they're also available under the sermon tab at fcbc.life. But to remind you where we are, David, a shepherd boy, has been anointed by God to be the future king of Israel. Israel has just faced a battle between themselves and the nation of the Philistines, and the great giant Goliath has come out and for 40 days has taunted the people of God. And the people of God have been afraid to face him. On day 40, young teenage David shows up, and he is appalled that this pagan Philistine is, is defying the armies of the living God. And he goes out and he fights the giant, and by the power of God and his faith, he defeats Goliath. And that's where we pick up today in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son, there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. Have you ever met somebody like that? That maybe you went out on a date and you think, man, this is going to be awesome. I remember when I was a teenager, I worked at a restaurant called Famous. I'm sorry, not, that was a shoe store I worked at. I worked at a, a restaurant called the Farmhouse Restaurant in Lake Park, Georgia. I also worked at Famous Footwear, but that was a different story. And there was, this, there was this waitress that worked there. She was close to my age. I liked her immediately. I saw her finally got up the nerve to ask her out. She agreed to go out with me. And I was so excited thinking, this is going to be awesome. And it was one of those dates that 10 minutes in, I'm thinking, this is going nowhere. We have nothing in common. How long, how can I politely end this thing and save face well, this was just the opposite. Jonathan and David meet, become fast friends immediately. I mean, they just meet each other, like each other. They have a lot in common, and they become friends. Their hearts and souls were actually, the Bible says, knit together immediately. And they loved each other. It says in verse 2, From that day on, Saul, that's the king, kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. Saul says, I'm going to keep my eye on you. You've just defeated Goliath. I see your popularity rising. You could be useful to me, but I also don't trust you. So he's going to keep David with him. 
Verse 3, Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Verse 4, Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. This is an amazing thing. In this short period of time, as David and Jonathan get to know each other, a common bond develops, a friendship, and they make a friendship pact with each other. They make a covenant with each other that we will be friends for life. We will be friends forever. And somewhere in this time that David and Jonathan are getting to know one another, God reveals to Jonathan that he will not be the future king when his dad is no longer on the throne. Instead, David is going to be the king. And so Jonathan, to show this loyalty to David, takes off his regal robes and his clothes and his sword and his weapons and his belt, and he gives them to David. It was his way of saying, I must decrease, you must increase. And our friendship is not on the line here. And that gives me the first quality of an inner circle friend. An inner circle friend is a mutual friend. They loved each other. They respected each other. They cared for one another. They were there for each other. They were loyal to each other. If you are in a friendship that is a one-way street where you do all the giving and the other person does all the taking, that is not an inner circle friendship. Inner circle friendship is a mutual friendship where we're in this together. And I believe all of us in our lives need those kind of friends in our lives. And it doesn't mean we have everything in common. Think about the contrast between Jonathan and David. You've got a city boy and a country boy. You've got a prince and you've got a shepherd. You've got someone who was rich and someone who was poor. But they had common mutual faith in God. They had a common love and respect for each other. And they became lifelong friends. So the first characteristic, the first quality of inner circle friends is they are mutual friends. Continuing in 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. So Saul puts David in charge because he knows he's good and he's popular. And the reason the king had that kind of confidence in David was because of how he defeated Goliath. Look at verse 6. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What is this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. Verse 9, so from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Saul becomes more jealous as the days go by, becomes more insecure, more paranoid, more threatened over David with each passing day. 
And his jealousy turns into rage. David is there in the king's palace serving the king, playing music for the king. One of the things that David did for Saul was he would play music that would help soothe Saul in his moments of depression and anger. And in one of these moments, Saul becomes so angry, he lifts up his spear and he throws it at David, trying to kill him. He hopes to pin David to the wall. This guy is losing his mind. Eventually, Saul kicks David out of the palace because he doesn't even want to see him. He then promotes David to become a commander of over a thousand men, thinking if I can get him out in battle, maybe he will die out there. But Saul discovers David is successful time and time again because the Lord was with David. So Saul comes up with a plan as he sees David's popularity rising. He says, I can't kill him with my own hand or the people might turn on me. So what I'll do is I will make him fight for me, put him in danger, and let him die in battle. But I'm going to have to entice him to fight. I'm going to have to give him one of my daughters. So he offers Mirab, one of his daughters. You could become the king's son-in-law. But instead of paying this exorbitant dowry that would normally be required of anyone wanting to marry the king's daughter, I will forgo the dowry. All you need to do is fight the Philistines for me. David refuses. He says, I'm not worthy to be the king's son-in-law. And so he refuses. Mirab is eventually married off to someone else. Then Saul finds out that his other daughter, Michael, actually has met David and she has fallen in love. And he says, this is my chance. I will again propose marriage between David and Michael so that he can go out and fight the Philistines. Later in chapter 18, we discover that uh, Saul says, I want you to go out and I want you to fight the Philistines before you marry my daughter. And if you kill 100 Philistine warriors and bring proof back to me that you have been successful, I'll give my daughter to you in marriage. You love her. She loves you. What could go wrong? I won't describe here in polite company the evidence that King Saul wanted from David proving he killed a hundred warriors. Let's just say when the men read it, they're going to cringe. Uh, but David is not killed in battle. Instead, he's successful, brings back proof to the king, and the king has to give his daughter to David. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, and we're about to see the second quality of inner circle friends. It says, Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me, and I'll talk to him about you. Then I will tell you everything I find out. Verse 4, the next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, listen to this, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant? 
in how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There is no reason for it at all. So Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed. So, so Saul the king is saying, okay, I'll promise the Lord. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. That's the second quality of an inner circle friend. Did you see what Jonathan did for David? He went and risked his life by standing up for David. Inner circle friends stand up for you when others stand against you. That's a true friend. Inner circle friends stand up for you when others stand against you. Jonathan went to his own dad and said, you're going to be sinning against God if you do this. David is innocent. He's not guilty of what you've said he's guilty of. He has been loyal to you. He has demonstrated his loyalty. You cannot commit this sin by killing an innocent man. And even though Saul agreed he wouldn't do it, Saul knew good and well he was making a vow to God he was not willing to keep. And can I tell you, a true inner circle friend will stand up for you when others stand against you. Jonathan went and said many good things about David. When other people want to defame you, your friends defend you. I've been grateful a few times in my life when I've had people stand against me to have some inner circle friends who could, who could stand up for me and who said a good word about me, and who defended my honor and my reputation. And they could point back to my history and say, what you've said is not true. This is the testimony. And listen, you're going to need people like that in your life as well. That's why be very careful when someone wants to come to you and talk about someone else behind their back to you, because if they will do that to another person, they will do it to you. Inner circle friends don't do that. They defend you when other people try to defame you. So the story goes on that Jonathan told David what Saul had promised. He's not going to kill you. And David's going, yeah, right. Once again, Saul's overcome with jealousy and anger and a troubled spirit. So again, two times he tries to kill David by pinning him against the wall with his spear. Eventually, David has to flee the king's palace. He goes back to his home where his wife Michael is. And then the king sends people to his house to assassinate him there, thinking his daughter, Michael, would help Saul and help Saul's men. But instead, Michael loved David, and she stood against her dad and stood up for David. She told David what was about to happen, and she helped him escape. And David then has to flee for his life. He, he flees to Samuel's hometown. Remember Samuel was the prophet who anointed him to be the king one day? I don't know what that conversation was like. Maybe David said, Samuel, I think your anointing oil is broke. Something wrong with that stuff. Is it out of date? Has it expired? Ever since you poured that oil over my head, life has been nothing but trouble. The king is trying to kill me. Saul kept trying to hunt David but was unsuccessful. Now let's look for that third quality of an inner circle friend. We'll see that in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1. David now fled from Naoth in Ramah and found Jonathan. What have I done, he exclaimed. What is my crime 
How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? That is not true, Jonathan protested. You're not going to die. He always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know my father wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. That tells you a lot about Jonathan. He believed the best of people. He saw the best. He, he just didn't want to believe it about his dad. Verse 3, then David took an oath before Jonathan and said, Your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he has said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan. Why should I hurt him? And then David says, but I swear to you that I am only a step away from death. I swear it by the Lord and by your own soul. David says, I'm not lying to you, Jonathan. And I know you don't want to hear this about your dad, but he is trying to kill me. And I know he promised you that he would not, but he is trying to kill me, Jonathan. Verse 4, Jonathan says, tell me what I can do to help you. That's the third quality of an inner circle friend. What David did shows that inner circle friends speak the truth in love, even when it's not easy to do so. David had to tell Jonathan the truth about his dad. It had to have been hard for David. But he said, Jonathan, I know, you, I know it's your dad. I know you think highly of him. I know you believe his promise to not kill me. But I'm telling you now, I swear on my life, he is trying to kill me. And listen, an inner circle friend will speak the truth to you in love. Even if it's a hard conversation they need to have with you. An inner circle friend will sometimes put their hand on your shoulder and say, I need to tell you, what you're doing in your marriage is not helping. You need to get serious about living up to the vows you made to God and your spouse. I love you too much to, to let you keep doing this. A, a true inner circle friend will come up to you and say, we need to talk about this drinking. It's getting a little out of hand. I'm worried about you. An inner circle friend will come alongside of you and say, you know, it's time to get back in church. You know, it's time to get back serious with God. It's time to stop playing with God like he's some hobby. And you need God every day. And I love you, and I want you to come back to church, come back to God, come back to prayer. An inner circle friend will say, what are you doing with your finances? You know, we got Financial Peace University classes starting again. You need to get in there. It's helped me. you get, you got to get your life in order here. And listen, an inner circle friend will have a hard conversation with you, not because they're trying to hurt you. They're trying to help you. They've got your best interest at heart. And we all need some people in our lives who are not fans, but who are friends. A fan will tell you what you want to hear. A fan will stroke your ego. But a friend will just speak the truth in love. And so Jonathan asks, well, tell me, what can I do to help you? So David tells him, you know, tomorrow is the festival of the new moon. And typically I would be there in the king's palace, seated with the king at his table. But let's, let's do something to prove whether or not your dad is trying to kill me or not. I'm going to not come to the festival. And when my seat is empty and the king finds out I'm not there, if he says, okay, good, it's all right, then you'll know that he's not trying to kill me. But if he becomes angry that I'm not there, Jonathan, you're going to know your dad is still angry at me and he's trying to kill me. Jonathan then asked David for one more promise if he should be killed for standing up for David. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 14 through 17, Jonathan says, And may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. 
But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, saying, May the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again, for Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Jonathan knew in that culture and in that day when a new royal family took over and a new king sat down on the throne, one of the first orders of business is you wipe out the former king's family so there's no claim to the throne. And Jonathan says, make a promise. We are lifelong friends that when you become the king, which I forego because God's chosen you, when you become the king, Show this steadfast love that you have for me to my family. Don't, don't do what other kings do. And David agrees, makes the promise. So, so David says, well, how am I going to know? How am I going to get word back from you after the festival whether or not your dad's mad? So Jonathan says, you remember that rock pile that you hid behind when dad was looking for you last time? He said, oh, yeah, how could I ever forget that rock pile? He said, I want you to go back to that rock pile, hide yourself there on the third day of the festival. And then whenever dad asks me, where is David? I'll tell him his family in Bethlehem is having a worship service and his brothers commanded he come home and be with his family for that sacrifice. And I gave him permission. And so the day comes for the festival. Saul is there. Jonathan, his son, is at the table. Um, his commanding officer is at the table. But David's seat is empty. Saul doesn't ask about it. He assumes David is ceremonially unclean and therefore couldn't participate that day. But he expected him the second day. Second day rolls around. Again, David's seat is empty. Now Saul says, where is the son of Jesse? Why is David not here? And Jonathan says, well, you know, he asked... He asked me if he could go back and be with his family in Bethlehem to worship and to sacrifice and... I gave him permission to go. That's why he's not here. And listen how Saul responded. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 30 through 34. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a... And I'll let you read that. He swore at him. Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place? Shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. But why should he be put to death? Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. Finally, took a spear almost to the head before he finally realized, wow, my dad really is serious about killing David. Verse 34, Jonathan left the table in fierce anger and refused to eat on that second day of the festival, for he was crushed by his father's shameful behavior toward David. David and Jonathan had agreed that if my dad is not angry at you or is angry, here's how you will know. On the third day, I'm going to come out there where you're hiding behind the rocks. I'm going to take my bow and arrow, and I'm going to shoot three arrows towards that pile of rocks like I'm aiming for a target. I'm going to then send out a little servant boy to retrieve my arrows. And if I say to him, here are the arrows right beside the stone pile. 
then you will know my father is not angry at you. And you don't have to hide anymore. But David, if you hear me say to my servant boy, when he's retrieving the arrows, go farther, go farther, you will know. You need to run. My father's angry. And can't you imagine how dejected Jonathan must have been when he went out there on that third day of the festival, shot those arrows, little boy runs out to get the arrows, and David, hiding behind the rock pile, hears his dear friend say, Go farther! Boy, go farther! And David knows. I've got to run. We, we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 41. David, or Jonathan, I should say, sends the boy away. It says, as soon as the boy was gone, David came out from where he had been hiding near the stone pile. Then David bowed himself three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. The English Standard Version puts it this way. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. David bows three times before Jonathan to indicate, you are still the prince of Israel. I am just a shepherd boy. And when I become king, I will become king in God's timing and in God's way. But until then, I will show the respect that you deserve, not only as my friend, but as the prince of Israel. And they wept. They wept. They wept because I think David is weeping the most because he sees how Jonathan has stood up for him, and Jonathan has risked everything for this friendship. And Jonathan has finally seen the true character of his father, and David is brokenhearted. It didn't have to be this way if Saul would just have repented of his sin. God could have a plan for Saul too. And in our modern day, some people look at that and say, was there something more going on physically, emotionally, romantically, sexually between David and Jonathan? You know, look at how they're weeping and they kiss each other. Give me a break. In Oriental culture, it was very common for people to greet one another with a kiss. There are still people today that will greet you with a kiss on your cheek in certain cultures. Go with us on some of our mission trips to Latin America and be prepared to be kissed on the cheek by men and women. It's just a friendship. Even the Apostle Paul said to the first century Christians, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, we're not asking you to do that today. It's, it's 21st century. That's kind of a cultural thing. We shake hands. We hug necks. This is just friendship. And it's veneration. And it's devotion. But don't make more of it than what it is. These are two dear friends who are brokenhearted that they're going to have to separate ways and they don't know if they will ever see each other alive again. Fast forward, Saul keeps running, hiding, or David keeps running and hiding from Saul. Saul keeps hunting him, trying to find him and kill him, but God keeps protecting David. One day news comes that Saul is on the hunt again. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 14 through 18. Oh, let me give you that fourth quality of an inner circle friend before I read that scripture. Inner circle friends don't count the cost. Here's what I want you to see by that. Jonathan sacrificed everything 
for the friendship he had with David. He gave up the throne. He gave up his relationship with his father. He even put his life on the line for David. He didn't count the cost. And an inner circle friend doesn't count the cost. If you need them, they're there. If they can help you, if it's in their power, if it's in their strength, they're going to do it. An inner circle friend will stand by you and count the cost, even if it means they lose other friendships because they stand next to you. Inner circle friends are mutual friends. Inner, inner circle friends come together and stand up for you and others stand against you. Inner circle friends speak the truth in love and inner circle friends don't count the cost. 1 Samuel 23 verse 14 it says, Now David stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph. Saul hunted him day after day, but God didn't let Saul find him. One day near Horash, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him. Do you hear that? Encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel. And I will be next to you as my father Saul is well aware so the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed at Horish. Fifth quality of an inner circle friend. Inner circle friends, strengthen your faith in God. David was down and out. David was afraid and lonely. David was discouraged. And in that moment, his friend found him. And in his moment of need, encouraged him. Stay True to God. Keep your eyes on God. Strengthen your faith, David. Remember the promise God made to you. Don't stand on your feelings or look at your circumstances. Stand on the promises God has made to you. Keep your faith in God. And dear friend, that's a true friend. A true friend doesn't weaken your faith in God. A true friend strengthens your faith in God. Listen, if you've got people in your life who are pulling you away from God. It doesn't mean you don't love them, but that's not a true friend. A true friend doesn't pull you away. A true friend builds you up and draws you closer to God. A true friend reminds you of God, reminds you of the promises of God, encourages you to keep your faith, keep talking to God in prayer, keep reading the Bible, keep worshiping God on a regular basis, keep gathering with God's people in worship to get your spiritual life refocused. That's a friend. And that's what David needed. And Jonathan became an inner friend who strengthened his faith in God. Your friend may say to you, you need to trust God with your finances. You need to trust God with your marriage. Dad, you need to put God first in your family so that you can be the father that your kids need you to be. You need to trust God with your sexuality. You need to trust God with your politics. Put God first. There's so much more I wish we could talk about this morning, but can I tell you, you need this kind of friend. You need this kind of friend. You need somebody in your life who's a mutual friend. It's not a one-way street. You need somebody who will stand up for you when others stand against you. You need somebody in your life who will speak the truth to you in love. You need someone in your life who won't count the cost to be your friend. They're willing to pay the price in the good times and in the bad times, and you need a friend who will strengthen your faith in God.
Do you have that kind of friend? One of the reasons we encourage you to get into life groups or we encourage you to take a next step and serve in the life of our church is because then you start rubbing shoulders with people. You become friends and you find people in your life who can be like this friend to you. But you not only need a friend, you need to be a friend to someone else. Rather than leaving today and giving you the homework, now go and find that kind of friend and you go home singing the blues. I don't have a friend like that. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me. Nobody's there for me. No, instead, here's your homework. Go out and be this kind of friend to someone. The Bible says, whoever wants friends must first show himself friendly. Rather than saying, I want this, go out and say, I'm going to be this kind of friend to somebody in my life. Who needs you to be a friend like Jonathan to them? Then it's a mutual friendship. It's a friendship where you stand up for them. It's a friendship where you speak the truth to them in love. It's a friendship where you don't count the cost. You're willing to pay the price to be their friend. And it's a friendship where you draw them closer to God. And help them strengthen their faith in God. You need a friend and you need to be a friend. And that's the lesson I take away from the friendship of David and Jonathan. And I'm a, I'm a preacher, so i got to end it this way. And I'm going to let you go. Because remember, we got donuts for dads. Hey. I mean, you tell me, is this not a great church or what? But I'm a preacher. i gotta, I got to end with this. You need Jesus. The Bible calls him a friend who sticks to you closer than a brother ever will. Can I tell you what Jesus is? He's a friend who's a mutual friend. He loves you, and he invites you to love him back. He's a friend who'll stand up for you when the world and the flesh and the devil stand against you. He'll speak the truth to you in love because he is full of grace and truth. And he doesn't count the cost. He stretched out his arms, and he died on a bloody cross to prove to you how much he loves you. And he'll draw you closer to God and strengthen your faith. So if you need Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, I'm going to pray that today you'll receive him into your life and let him be your best friend in all the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the example we find in the friendship of Jonathan and David. We thank you that they were friends to one another. And we take these lessons we've learned from them and we determine today, I need a friend and I need to be a friend. So God, I pray that today you would help us to be this kind of friend to someone else. We can't be this to everyone, but help us to be like this to that inner circle you've given us. And Father, we thank you for Jesus, who truly is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We place our faith and our trust in him. And if there's someone in this room today that needs him as their Lord and Savior, in the stillness of this moment, maybe it's one of these fathers, maybe it's a mom Maybe it's a single adult. Maybe it's a senior adult or one of these young people. Whoever it is, if they need Jesus as their Savior, I pray that today they would say to you in their heart, Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his death, burial, and resurrection. And today I turn and ask for forgiveness of my sin as I place my trust in Jesus who promised me he will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. I receive him into my life. I welcome him to be my Savior my Lord, and my friend. In Jesus' name we all pray. And everyone said, amen.